Every little thing that you think you have. <laughs> That's not the song. Every little thing that you need. <laughs> <laughs> Every little thing that you do without. I bet that you'll be fine without doing it. <laughs> Nailed it. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 58. Today we're going to talk about housing or homes, minimalist housing, and our different perspectives on different ways of living in our homes. Just one caveat. If you own a home, you're really not a minimalist. Oh my goodness. Because minimalists don't have houses. They certainly don't have art in their houses. You can't even, you're not even supposed to live in one place, right? (laughs) I mean, I think, I think cob houses count. I don't know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) You've never seen a cob house? It's like built out of mud. Oh yeah, yeah, like, like mud and straw. They have like those intentional community. You help someone in an intentional community, like build their mud straw cob house. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was well, it's funny because it was like a, it's the first intentional community I I had ever visited. Uh huh. And um, my buddy, God love him. Like this is not, I'm not trying to say this negatively. He's just like you know free spirited, loving hippie type guy. Even more so than me, Josh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I just Whoa. remember he was like, oh, yeah, I live on this community in like a small house. And I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, I'm open-minded. I didn't like judge him at first. But but like I, I, there was a piece of me, though, where I'm like, I was totally tr- like stereotyping. Like this has got to be, a, you know, a weird place. And then uh, he was talking about um, this gal who had a cob house who needed help building her couch. Her couch. What? Out of like mud and straw. Really? <laughs> yes. So wait, that that's interesting. So the house is functional. Um, it, it's also the furniture in a way? Yeah. No, oh. it's not also like in a way. It is the furniture. Like, oh, wow. I mean, literally everything, her bed frame, like she has a mattress, like oh, that's wow. not built out of mud and straw, but like the frame, it's like built up, uh-huh. was probably like four foot high, five foot high, and then her uh, mattress was on top of that. But the cool thing was, even with the couch, like there was this, um, like tube or like uh, 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 opening. I don't know what you, what you would call it. Tube's probably a better word, but essentially you would leave room for the heat to go through. So like she would burn some logs, and then she had this whole system throughout the like the heat would disperse through like to her bed. Um, and then even like built into the couch, it was crazy, man. But yeah, I was thinking like intentional community. I just, I was thinking cult. I mean, I'm going to be honest, man. Okay. Like, that's what I was and it was not like that at all. It was really, really cool. Everyone had their own lives. None of them, you know, uh, subscribed to any one religion or anything like that. It was literally just a guy who had a bunch of land mm-hmm. who wanted to put a big farm on there, grow vegetables and things. And he was like, Hey, I could like, you know, uh, put up some of uh, some other homes in here and or let other people one one couple like they went there and built their entire home. But yeah, long story short, like it was so really, when really you cool. talk about intentional really cool. community, what what exactly does that mean? Like and, what is what, what is it your typical or atypical 
community uh, intentional community look like i don't specifically know like every single one's like arrangements there but uh my buddy who lived there with his wife they they were staying in a tiny house like you walk in it was kitchen you go left it was their uh, bedroom and then you keep on going and it was the bathroom like it was probably 100 square foot uh-huh 150 square foot really really tiny but there's a bunch of people on this lot or this plot yes. large plot of land living there as a, a sort of shared community they share resources I'm yeah assuming. well yeah they share resources uh they really like for him it was in order to have that tiny house he had to farm mm. like i think they had to put in like 20 hours a week uh and then that was the rent essentially for the month i don't know what the all, all the other arrangements were with everyone else um, but yes, like essentially like, yeah, they would, uh, make stuff, grow stuff and share it amongst each other. Um, and, uh, it was rent free as long as you were contributing to the community somehow. Uh, okay. So, so, so th- there was an emphasis on, on community emphasis on, on contribution and emphasis on access and yeah. shared resources. All right. Well, so today we're not really going to be talking about cops. No, homes. no, no. I just thought I'd throw that in there. We're going to talk about more <laughs> more traditional living, but also some non-traditional living as well. But before we dive into that, Ryan, I have a question for you. I'm trying to figure this out. So, so this month we have something like 6 million downloads of the podcast. I don't know what that translates to in terms of how many listeners there are. I'm guessing 1.5 million people are <laughs> listening to this right now. <laughs> but no, I... And, I'm perplexed by this. So we have something like like 6 million downloads, but we have only 500 reviews on iTunes. How I, I can't do the math on this. And it, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite podcasts, a podcast called Runaway Jukebox. And, and uh, the guy who runs it, uh, his name is Jay Burritos. And he, he talks about <laughs> millennial music. And I, I'll, I'll talk about them later. Um, but... He's, he's doing something interesting. He's holding his podcast hostage. He, uh, once he reach, reaches a certain episode, um, if he doesn't have a certain number of reviews on iTunes or, or wherever his podcast is, he's going to stop making episodes. And I'm wondering, do you, do you think we should do the same thing? <laughs> if we don't get like a thousand no. five-star reviews, should, should we hold everyone hostage? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love the good reviews. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, I hate reading reviews in general because, you know, with good reviews come bad reviews uh-huh. and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't like reading the, the visceral, uh, reviews. So, you know, if you like our show, let us know if you don't like our show. Um, okay. Don't leave a review. Cause yeah, I don't yeah. want to okay, read it. I mean, it. if you really hate it and you feel like we, we if you got are... some good feedback, like this is why you guys really, really suck. But like the majority of the feedback is, well, you know, we read them on those the on mean that. tweets. Yeah. It's like, and I just. It just makes me sad. <laughs> it just makes me sad, man. Like, why are you so hateful? Like, well, I don't I, know what happened in your life to be so hateful. But I, I man, guess I'm talking. I'm more sorry. Of, more for the five star <laughs> reviews, really, right? Like, what, what? What? I'm trying to. If you to, love our podcast, yes, please leave a five star review. That's one way that you can that you can contribute if you want to. If you want more people to to see this podcast in their podcast feed, if you feel like more people can can benefit from it, then you can take sixty seconds and. If you get value from this, it's one of the best ways to to share, share the message, to spread the word, is to leave a, a five-star review on iTunes, but only if you find value, if you feel compelled to do that. So no, we're, we're, we're not going to hold the show hostage, but if you do find some value, then we'd love if you would leave a review. Uh, one other thing before we get started, Ryan, the Less Is Now tour is coming to your city. 
if you're in one of the cities that we're coming to. <laughs> uh, we, we just announced Boston, and that is selling out rather briskly. So there's still tickets left to the Boston event, but then we've got a bunch of other cities that will be coming in the coming weeks. You can go to theminimalists.com slash tour to find different cities as they are announced. And, of course, subscribe to our email newsletter there. That will mean you will be the first to know once we announce more tour dates over at theminimalists.com. Just type your email address in at the top. We'll never, ever send you spam or advertisements or junk because those things suck. All right, our first question today is from Sonia in New Hampshire. We recently sold a home where we had to bring almost $25,000 to closing just to sell it um, under market value. And thankfully, I paid off that $25,000 in about seven months by working a second job. The downside is I don't see my husband or my family. My children are five and six. We're now looking at perhaps now that we've relocated, purchasing another home within the foreseeable future of the next two to three years. I am lying awake at night, unable to sleep, because I'd like to get a smaller home, just one that is less work for us. Um, I'm a recent cancer survivor, so that weighs on my mind. However, my husband is not um, on board with us. I'd like to cut our home size in about half and go down to about 900 feet for a family of four. I think that would solve so many problems. First off, congratulations for selling the house that was burdening you, even though you had to come to closing with an additional $25,000. And mm. congratulations with, with working that second job to pay that off so yeah. you can get out of debt. I, I know personally that debt is crippling. I had six figures worth of debt, including my, if you included the mortgage I had, it was about half a million dollars worth of debt. And I felt overwhelmed by that. And so you've gotten yourself out of the overwhelm. Now, unfortunately, Sonia, it, it looks like there are still some issues here. And I think part of the, the fear that you're experiencing here is the fear of the unknown, the fear of, of the future. And a, a few things to, to point out here. You can't sleep. That is a huge problem because that's going to affect the rest of your health. And yeah. especially uh, since you are a, a cancer survivor, you want to make sure that your your health is, I mean, everyone wants to make sure their health is in tip-top shape, but you, you certainly don't, you don't want to go back into to bad patterns. So you, you need to be able to sleep for sure. And so this is, uh, this is sort of hanging over your head, the, this burden of where are we going to move? What kind of house are we going to move into? And then how can I also get my, my family on board, specifically my husband on board, and of course, our you know our entire family of four, and so uh, let's just go through a few things here. Let me first, and this is maybe less for you, but more for everyone else. Just some broad rules that I've set up for myself, and these may or may not be applicable to everyone. Uh, I am currently a renter. I don't own a house right now, and there are a few good reasons for that. There are three things that need to happen for me if I am going to buy a home again. These are my personal rules. First off, Ryan, I need to put 50% down if mm. I want to buy a house. That means yeah. if, I, if I want to buy a $200,000 house, I better have $100,000 that I can put down on that house. I also need to be able to afford to pay a seven-year fixed-rate mortgage. We are one of two countries in the world whose standard is having a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. I'm 35 years old. That means if I were to buy a house right now and get a 30-year mortgage... I am going to be paying on that mortgage, mm. well, 
for the rest of my my life until retirement age, right? And so that's not good. So so I want to have a want to be able to afford a seven year fixed rate mortgage, and I also want to be in that city for seven at least seven years, that tends to be the, around five years or so tends to be the the break even point. I'm a little more conservative with my money. And so seven years is is a good time for me to, to know I'm gonna be in the city. So those are actually three reasons that I don't own a house right now. I wanna be able to put half down, which I, I probably could do, uh, but uh, having a, a seven-year fixed mortgage, could I afford that? Do I make enough money? Well, I'd have to work out the, the details. It depends on the house and what's appropriate for, for me and, and my family. But I also don't plan on being in, in Missoula for the next seven years. And so uh, if I had a place I knew I was going to be for at least seven years, that's when I would consider buying the house there. Now, for other people, that may be a bit too drastic. I think the bare minimum to put down would be 20% on a home. That is reasonable. Uh, if and, and then again, uh, seven to maybe max 15-year fixed rate mortgage. You probably want to get closer to seven to 10 years. And then even if you do a 15-year fixed rate mortgage, you want to work really hard to pay that off much sooner than 15 years. But that really depends on whether or not you can afford it. And you can't afford it if you if you don't have you know if you have I remember when I bought my and built my my first house, mm-hmm. we did zero percent down. Now I could have put some money down. I certainly couldn't have put twenty or fifty percent down on that that right. big house. But the bank was like, hey, we could do this for zero percent down. Yeah, you'd be dumb not to do it. I, I can use their money. I'm using someone else's money. Yeah, and well, that, what that also meant is it wasn't actually my house. I was just paying rent to the to the bank as opposed to paying rent to a landlord. And when the housing market crashed, I ended up losing tens of thousands of dollars on that house, as you did with with yeah. your condo. And and so keep that in mind. It's if the bank owns the the mortgage, they own the house. You don't actually own the house until you do own the house. That's when it becomes. A, 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 an investment for you. The other thing I, I think about, though, is I don't look at housing, my own personal house, as an investment. I, if you want to, to invest in other real estate and have rental properties, those can certainly be considered investments. But I, I tend not to think of, of the home because of all the upkeep and everything else that is, uh, that, that is necessary for affording a home. If a water heater goes out in, in my home now, I make a phone call and say, hey, Ken, I need you to I need you to swap out the water heater. It just went bad. In fact, uh, I didn't have hot water recently, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was. And I just called, and he sent the plumber, and he paid for the plumber. They had to repair some parts. I didn't have to fool around with that. If I owned the home, those are embedded expenses that we don't always uh, think about. Yeah, and that's something she brought up was the work. That, mm. that is that it takes to keep up this big house. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, you have to be willing to do that. I'm not saying that it's not worth it to uh, put in that work. However, if you're in a uh, situation like Sonia, where the work is keeping you from sleeping at night, mm-hmm. uh, that's when yeah, maybe you should do something about it. Yeah, and maybe you need to have a handyman that you you know very well, or maybe your husband is a handyman. If you're not Sonia. Um, and you're able to to rely. You need to be able to rely on someone so that you are not burdened by by this sort of additional overhead, but also just the additional worry that comes along with owning a house. Some people absolutely love it, Ryan. I think of my friend Jamar in, in Cincinnati, who I think owns something like 16 different properties now. Mm. And he's a teacher. He 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 teaches young kids and. Um, 
sort of this this uh, he teaches the bad kids. I don't. There's not a, a more appropriate way to say this, but kids who who have um, a lot of discipline d- discipline problems. The, he he is sort of their their overseer, but uh, that's what he does by the day and and evenings and weekends. He absolutely loves managing his properties now for me and it sounds like for sonia as well that would drive me insane Mm. Uh, having to replace water heaters and cut uh, grass and all these different properties and 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 fix windows and and pull up carpeting and and do all of these things that are necessary if you're going to be a landlord but he really enjoys it and so you have to figure out am i going to enjoy this and if not there's another expense there that you're going to have to pay someone else to do it for you to take that burden off of your plate. Mm-hmm. She also mentioned that you know, really getting her husband on board is, is going to be difficult. And I, I just want to delineate between two things here, Ryan. I think compromising with the people in your family can be good, but suffering or sacrifice is bad, right? So, so you don't want to sacrifice your well-being to make everyone else happy because that's not a good long-term plan for health or for success or for happiness with your family. But I think quite often a compromise can work out really well. So you Mm. said you'd love to downsize to 900 square feet. 900 square feet is pretty small, especially for a family of four. Is it doable? Heck yeah, it is. You could do a family of four and 400 square feet. You absolutely can. In fact, I'm thinking of our, our documentary right now. Uh, Jacqueline Friedlander and, and her husband uh, David and, and their two kids they live in an apartment in Brooklyn and I think it's 560 square feet it's a it's a small place but it's gorgeous it's very functional it's intentional they have the Murphy bed and a bunch of different ways that they the, 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 the space doubles for multiple functions and so there are ways that you can do it yes and, and we'll talk later in this episode about some different housing options some unconventional housing options but you have to realize that maybe 900 square feet is is too small for you and so maybe instead of saying I want to get to 900 square feet that's arbitrary 900 square feet 560 square feet do you know the average house being built in the United States last year was more than 4,000 square feet again very arbitrary because it, what does that tell me? Well, that just tells me that we're giving more and more space. We're, we're in, the lots aren't necessarily getting bigger. Just we're just plopping bigger houses on onto these lots. And so instead of saying I want 900 square feet, the the question I would ask Ryan is, what does your life look like? And then you want to build or find a home that fits around that life. So so think about that for a moment. What? does your ideal life with your family of four, assuming you're not going to have any additional kids at this point, what does your ideal life look like? How do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your days? And then instead of trying to cram a life into a a 900 square foot space, because that might not be enough, you might actually find that a thousand square feet is ideal to build that around your life. How, How do you want to spend your days? And then what do you need that space for? Yeah. Yeah, you know, this makes me think of that essay we wrote about understanding others. Uh, You can find it at theminimalists.com forward slash understanding. But really what we talk about there is, you know, when we live with someone who doesn't want to do exactly what we want to do. Right. And uh, there's a a, basically an acronym that, you know, Josh and I kind of go by, Tara, T-A-R-A. But the first step is, is tolerating that person. And I think tolerance is a good first step, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that ultimately it's probably not 
the best virtue for people to have. Yeah, it's a pretty but ob- weak, weak virtue. Right. Good so first step. Uh, yes. So obviously, uh, right now, Sonia is tolerating, her, you know, tolerating the situation. Um, and it, the next step is to accept. And I think that she has accepted the situation. Um, uh, but, but really, what I'm trying to get at here is if you can you know, work through these steps uh, after accept, respect your husband, and then get to a point where you appreciate your husband and his wants and needs. I think you know, right now she's probably at the respect stage. Yeah. And I'm not saying to appreciate the the situation you're in. Like, you know, it's uh, for me to just say, well, you know, to get you to sleep and I just start appreciating the situation. I mean, that's way easier said than done. But what I would say is that if you and your husband can work together to appreciate one another and each other's needs, I think you can. That will help uh, get them to that compromise of of maybe not a nine hundred square foot home, but yeah, maybe it's a thousand square foot. I don't know what their square foot square footage is right now in their home, but yes, I think working through this is uh, what will ultimately help uh, you and your husband uh, appreciate one another. And when you both can appreciate one another, that's when you're able to uh, yeah give in a little bit. Um, and, and you know the the term the, the current situation that that they're in it may change over time uh, with their kids they're five and six years old right now right mm-hmm. so that means a dozen years from now or or a little bit more fifteen years from now they will be empty nesters right mm-hmm. and so their housing situation will change I I've been inspired by Japanese architecture uh, in particular I don't know if you know about this Ryan but there are more architects per capita in Japan than anywhere else in the world and oh, wow. it, by far. And the reason being is so supposedly here in, in the United States and, and much of the developed world, not all of the developed world, but we look at housing as an investment. I'm going to buy the build this you know, $200,000 house. And over the course of 30 years, it's going to appreciate and be worth $400,000 or, or whatever the market looks like at the time. In Japan, it's the opposite. They treat housing like cars. Mm-hmm. In the United States, our cars tend to depreciate. As soon as you drive something off the lot, it it loses value. The housing market in Japan, what you what you're especially in places like Tokyo, what you're paying for is is not the house that you buy. You buy a house and you tear it down and you build your own. Oh wow! And, and so in and over the course of the thirty years, it depreciates to functionally zero dollars. Mm. And, and what's really cool about that is they are literally building a house around their own life, how they're going to use that space. And so I'm actually I'm excited for for Sonia and their family here because they get to they they get to map out what what do they want the next dozen years to look like what do they want the next twenty years to look like and they may find that when they become empty nesters they do want to move to something even smaller than 900 square feet or when you ask that question Sonia what do I want our life our ideal life to look like you might find that 900 square feet is actually too much for that lifestyle depending on what you want the life to look like one other thing with the husband in order to get to to that that place of respect and also ultimately appreciation is helping him identify what the benefits of simplifying are. Mm. It's going to be a little bit different for him. It's also going to be different for your kids. And so asking that question, how might your life be better with less? And, and answering that question together as a family, identify the, the core benefits, the key benefits for your family, the overlapping benefits. Yes, getting out of debt, 
huge benefit. The health, I mean, being a cancer survivor, they've got to put that first. They've got to be willing to put your health first and they need to work around then as a family, you need to be able to work around that. And, and they also, in addition to being you respecting and appreciating your husband and your kids lifestyle, they need to be willing to work hard to tolerate, accept and respect and appreciate uh, your lifestyle as well. Um, uh, last thing I'm thinking about here, when I think about housing, I, I mentioned this a moment ago, Ryan, uh, I need to be willing to stay in a place for at least the next seven years if I'm going to buy a house. I also value mobility. Uh, I, I think about Derek Sivers, who is probably a multimillionaire. He, he, he founded CD Baby and runs a great website. It's just Sivers.org. Mm-hmm. He's a very talented writer. And uh, I've read some of his stuff on, on the podcast before, but he 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 looks at renting as owning the ability to be mobile mm. so he he refuses to own a house even though he can afford it because he would rather own the flexibility of being able to go anywhere and so that's one thing when i think about i rent you, you in fact you can you can see ryan and i are both renters you can find tours of our the places we rent i rent a house ryan rents an apartment uh, those terms can be used differently. You know, I, I, I would call it an apartment, maybe um, you, a loft that you live in, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, you, if you live in New York City, you call it a, a studio where they call it an apartment, <laughs> even though yeah. they own it. Right. Oh, which, right. Is, which is a weird thing. Or if you're overseas, you often call it a flat. Um, you, you can take a tour of both of our homes over at the minimalists.com slash Nicodemus. That's for Ryan. And theminimalists.com slash Milburn for my home. You can also check out a tour of our kitchen at minimalwellness.com slash kitchen. That's uh, my partner, Bex. She did a, a tour of our, our kitchen on, on her website. But uh, the thing I think about is I want that flexibility, Ryan. I want to be able to move uh, and I'm not ready to be in one particular place just yet. And so you keep that in mind. If you're being reassigned somewhere for a job, if you are, you know, because your your job said, well, you're, we're going to move you here for two or three years. It probably doesn't make sense to, to, to buy a house. But also, if you value freedom, for me, freedom has a, a few uh, a few components. I don't I don't I don't know how you might define freedom, but for me, Ryan, uh, I think it's discipline plus the willingness to walk away from something. I think that's the ultimate kind of freedom mm-hmm. is having discipline. But all, and I get that from Jocko Willink. He he always says that discipline equals freedom. Mm. But the other the the component that I, I add to that is true freedom to me is being willing to walk away from just about anything. That means I'm free because I am untethered, mm. and, and the decisions I'm I making like to be there, that those those decisions, they're very deliberate, and I keep reassessing my situation. Does that mean I won't own a house someday? No, I I probably will. But I need, need to be able to afford it. I need to be able to put the money down. And I need to be in that place, that city, for at least uh, seven years. Uh, Sonia, you are in New Hampshire. If you'd like to make a quick drive down to Boston, we are coming to that city on April 15th. We're going to be at the Wilbur Theater there. Tickets are available at theminimalists.com slash tour. But uh, Sean, if you could reach out to her and get her a, a pair of tickets, maybe her and her husband come and get some some free hugs, ask some questions. We're going to do a live version of our podcast there. We're also going to give an in-depth talk about minimalism. Our next question is from Maggie in Atlanta. So I consider myself a minimalist, or at least a wannabe minimalist. I've been 
on and off obsessed with paring down my life and minimizing over the years and have really purged a lot of stuff, which feels amazing. But my partner and I have three amazing little girls under seven and a 3,200-square-foot house that we love. We actually use most of the space, and it's fairly minimally furnished and decorated compared to the average American home. But one thing we struggle with is that we have a lot of space and a lot of storage room. So we have a lot of room for just for when items or just in case items, too. What are your thoughts when someone has the space for more items? How do you know when, um, how do you know what's the right amount of stuff um, to keep and to maintain? All right, so, so during that, that voicemail, our uh, trusted, fearless producer here, Sean, he informed me that the, the, the appropriate term I should be using when, when I said uh, the, the kids with discipline, discipline problems is at-risk kids. Uh, yeah, so, so my friend Jamar teaches at-risk youth, so that is, is the appropriate term. Please uh, uh, let me apologize for my ignorance there. Let's, uh, let's, t- let's talk to Maggie here, Ryan. So she is a wannabe minimalist, uh, a winimalist. And, um, I feel like I'm still a wannabe minimalist. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't that interesting? Like, once yeah. someone is a minimalist, they all, I, I, I still well, want to be a minimalist. Well, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I can't think of the perfect minimalist. Um, I mean, I can think of my perfect minimalist, but that's my perfect minimalist. Right. Like, who I look up to is not who everyone else is going to look up to. Yeah, and also, I wasn't a minimalist until I said I was, really. I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't like I had to meet this certain criteria. In fact, Sean, if you would, uh, get a hold of Maggie and send her a minimalist uh, certificate. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> just, to make, just to make her feel better. No, um, Maggie, uh, I would say you are a minimalist. I mean, just asking these questions is certainly uh, implementing uh, this lifestyle into your life. And that's what a minimalist does. Minimalists are not perfect. Uh, uh, but they do uh, think about their their decisions deliberately. Yeah, and and so so you mentioned that there are other minimalists that that you might respect, but you don't want their same lifestyle. Sure. I think of someone like Leo Babalta and his six kids, and that's not uh, a life that I aspire to live like. Or Colin Wright, who travels all over the world, and everything he owns fits in his backpack. That's those are both great lifestyles. I really respect and. and and certainly, I, I, not not just respect, but I appreciate what they do. I appreciate their perspective. It doesn't mean that I have to want that same life as well. And I, I like this question, Maggie, because you talked about that you live in a, a 3,200 square foot house, which sounds massive to me, but that's probably was roughly the, the size of the house that, that I own. Um, but you said it's a house that we love, and, and so that tells me what you, what you really mean is you don't you don't necessarily love the house; it's an inanimate object. But you enjoy the time you spend there; it adds a lot of value to your life. But you did you, you did allude to that maybe that's too much space. You did say that there, there's too much space for just in case items or just for win items, and um, you you talked about or you, your question was. What's the right amount of stuff? And what I would say to that is the space that you have, whether it's 3,200 square feet or 320 square feet, or uh, I was talking to the the producer of Tiny House Nation last week, and um, he was talking about how Deion Sanders was on the show, (laughs) and and he, he was building this guest house, and they were getting him to build a small guest house. But initially... 
And that, by the way, the small guest house for him was about 3,000 square feet. Good grief. But I think his, his main house is like 29,000 square feet. So it doesn't matter if you have a, a, a 30,000 square foot house, a 3,000 square foot, or a 300 square foot house. Uh, the space that you have has very little to do with the stuff that you need, right? Mm. And, and I think what, what what's important to, to question there is your lifestyle has to do with the things that you need. I prefer to own a kitchen table. I like having a kitchen table. Now, the size kitchen table that I have, it seats six people. It it wouldn't necessarily work in Tammy Strobel's 180-square-foot home that you see in our documentary, right? Mm-hmm. Just because... There are, uh, it wouldn't fit. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't accommodate. But that's what adds value to, to my life. And the same with Colin Wright. If he's traveling, he can't fit the kitchen table in the overhead bin of the airplane. And so he's not going to have that thing in his life because of the way that he, uh, the way that his lifestyle is, is set up. So you, you really want to question, you know, how is your lifestyle set up, Maggie? And then is the space that you have appropriate for that? The other thing you mentioned was I have too much space for just in case or just for win items. I, I would I would work very hard to delineate the two. Mm. Most of those things that you're holding on to are most likely just in case items. The average American household has 300,000 items in it. The majority of those things are just in case items. Uh, I'm going to hold on to this just in case I need it someday in some non-existent hypothetical future. Now, the just for when items are a little bit different, right? A just for when item means I might not use this in the next 90 days, but I know that I'm going to use it at least once a year when I actually need the thing. Ryan's snowboard or uh, snow snowboarding gear would be a, a really great example of that. My winter coat is certainly a just for when item. It doesn't fit into that 90-90 rule for me. And we need to determine those just for when items are things that we know we are certain I'm going to need this at some point, and and I and I need to let go of the other things that that are just in case. Uh, one one other thing, Ryan, I read an article recently from our friend Cal Newport, who is a professor at uh, Georgetown, and he wrote about digital minimalism. But I think I think this applies really well to to Maggie's question. Mm. So he's written a lot about digital minimalism recently and quitting social media and, and, and different things that have worked really well for him. But on his blog, we'll put a link to this and everything else that we're mentioning today in our show notes. Uh, this, this article is called On Value and Digital Minimalism. So that word value comes up in here, and that's why I think this is applicable. Uh, here, here's what he says. The complexities of simple. The core idea of digital minimalism is to be more intentional about technology in your life. Digital minimalists carefully curate these technologies to best support things they value. The idea sounds simple when presented at a high level, but in practice, it dissolves into complexities. One such complexity, which I want to explore here, is the notion of, quote, value. So uh, real quick, Ryan, when you and I talk about that something must add value to our lives, we tend to define that by does it serve a purpose or does it bring me joy? And we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Mm. Now, here's what here's what Cal says. and I really like this. I think I'm going to start using it when we talk about value. He says revaluing value, measuring whether a given digital tool provides value to your life can be a fruitless exercise. The term is simply too vague and applies to too many things. Uh, it implies to too many things for it to support hard decisions about what can lay claim to your time and attention. 
everything you use probably offers some value. Why else would you use it? With this issue in mind, I've sometimes found it helpful to introduce more variation into what I mean by value when assessing my tools. And so, yes, he's talking about digital minimalism here, but I think this applies to all of the stuff that, that we consider in our lives or when, whenever we're considering value in general. Consider, for example, the following three different types of benefits a digital technology can provide. So he, he breaks it down to three different types of value, Ryan. He says core value, minor value, and invented value. So I'll go through these real quick. Core value. A technology offers you core value if it significantly impacts a part of your life that you couldn't do without. A strand of activity twinned around your definition of a life well-lived. For example, a soldier deployed overseas using FaceTime to chat with her family is deriving core value from this tool. Great example. Uh, second one is minor value. A technology offers you minor value if, if it provides some moderate positive benefits in the moment. For example, browsing a comedian's Twitter feed for a laugh or playing a round of Candy Crush for a distraction. Uh, I, I could think of better examples for minor values there, but I think those are two decent ones. Uh, and then the third type of value, Ryan, he says invented value. A technology offers you invented value if it solves a problem that you didn't know existed before the tool came along. A Snapchat user, for example, might note that it's the most convenient app for keeping friends posted on what you're up to throughout the day. It doesn't even require typing. But this same user in an age before Snapchat, probably didn't even know he wanted constant updates from his friends. The app created the behavior that it optimizes. So said another way here, Ryan, this invented value, I, I would just say that, you know what? That's not value at all. Mm. It's fake value. It's alternative value. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, not, it's not real value. And so it's really creating a solution to a problem you didn't have. So it's manufacturing the solution to manufacturing a problem so because it has the solution. The, the fourth thing that I might add here, he doesn't have here, Ryan, but something else will add value if it just brings you joy. Mm -hmm. If it's a, a, an artwork on your wall that, that really brings you joy, and only you, only you know what's going to truly bring you joy. And the things that bring you joy today may not bring joy tomorrow. He, he sums it up, uh, this article, by saying, the rationale for injecting nuance into your definitions of value is that it allows you to inject nuance into your strategies for curating your digital life. You can treat tools differently depending on the value they provide. Mm. And then he goes into some other examples here. We'll link to that um, in, in the show notes. But I think it's important. Differentiate what do you get value from. When, when she's looking at these just-in-case items or just-for-win items, are they adding core value? Are they adding a minor value? If so, then maybe you can justify holding on to those things. Or are they just-in-case items? Are they invented value? Because mm. you're not actually going to use them someday. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, if I had all that storage space, it would be dangerous. Like, I would have to create a bunch of rules to help myself from just holding on to everything. Mm. Um, I mean, now I've got, uh, it's probably like 10 square foot, I don't know, that storage space that I have. Um, out, it's like right outside my front door of the loft. And I keep my snowboards in there, I keep my bike in there, 
um, I've got like sheets and pillows and blankets and stuff for when people come over, I can pull them out of there and I've got, you know, plenty of linens and, and things for guests, uh, air mattresses in there as well. So like, there are certainly things in there that are just for when, right. Um, I feel like, yeah, I would have to create some rules like uh, the one year rule of like, have I used this in the last year? Cause I could totally see, like if I was someone who, uh, really just enjoyed decorating during the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have been to some homes where, like, I have asked myself, where the hell do they keep all that stuff wow. when it's not the holidays? It looks beautiful, and it's an amazing, it's, you know, it's amazing decorations, and, you know, it certainly adds value to their life, adds value to my life when I look at it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see where they would probably have, you know, some kind of storage space for things like that. But yes, when you have a lot of space in your home, well, you're going to try to cram things into it. And, you know, I think the question is, is like, how, how can you best use that space? I know um, my grandmother, like she had a huge, huge house, a ton of uh, storage space. And I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you like the random stuff that she was, you know, holding on to as I was growing up. Well, when my grandfather passed away, she uh, sold the farm and uh, all the stuff that that she was storing. I mean, I remember she just like had a huge dumpster just throwing so much stuff out. So all that just-in-case stuff she was holding on to, it was just in case she had to throw out. I mean, that's eventually where it ended up going. I mean, she donated a lot and auctioned a lot of it off too, but I just remember like seeing uh, just a lot of stuff that, you know, was, I'm trying to think, like, you know, magazine collections and just random things that, that she was... Uh, getting rid of so yeah uh, it's dangerous to have all that storage space and yeah you've got to be deliberate with it you know the 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 different types of value I love that concept but I'm like thinking about snapchat for example Uh and like the only time I use snapchat is when I'm on a vacation of sorts and that's because uh like I know like people when I've snapped they'll text me or message me they're like dude keep snapping. I love seeing your vacation. Thanks uh-huh. for sharing. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so it's something that like I could definitely live without. Sure. However, I really like giving value to my friends. Well, I think that's, so it's, it's that for you is a minor value for me. It's an invented value. So that, that mm. I think that that illustrates the point really well is be something that is a fake alternative value for me is is going to be a yeah. minor value for you it's not a core value although for someone snapchat could be a true core value and, and I'll, I'll tell you why like i think about I, i've never used snapchat personally but i know the biggest snapchat star is, is dj khaled because all he does is win 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh he gets immense he gets core value from that because uh the, of the way that he uses it mm-hmm. so I think that's that's an example of of someone who can get core value from this thing. A snowboard for you is either a minor value or a a core value. Now mm-hmm. I could buy the thing. I live in Montana, so I should own a snowboard. That's an invented value mm-hmm. for me. That that's a fake yeah. value. And so it's going to be different for each person. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, for Maggie, it's going to be different for each person. In her family. She has three girls. A family of five. Uh, the value is going to the things that, that are core values for their family might have a lot of overlap, mm. but the things that have core values for the individual are going to be different. You want to consider that with with the space. Uh, the other thing, Ryan, that you mentioned is if you, if you had that that big space, you you'd have to work really hard to set up some rules to not use the space. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I bring in a ton of stuff to my life, but and you know, any little thing that is given to me, I would you know, there'd be something in my head that would be like. 
oh, well, you do have the space to just kind of, you know, put it out of sight, out of mind. And right. you won't be hurting someone's feelings if you, you know, if, if you get rid of it so you can hold on to it. And yeah, yeah, it would be really, really dangerous for me. Well, you know, I think that th- with that, it's important to know that just because you have the space doesn't mean you have to fill it. I think of the best, most beautiful, most well curated spaces are often museums and you'll walk in there's a huge like foyer and it's it's just truly gorgeous and in fact the the architecture is part of the art uh over at minimalism life which is our our side project just minimalism.life we have a a really beautiful instagram uh, account um that is run by by carl who runs minimalissimo and if you just go to instagram.com slash minimalism.life one of the things that that we've been sharing recently is open spaces Mm. and you'll find that the open spaces when they're really simple the bones are the beauty of the space and it would actually take away from the beauty if we just start filling that space with stuff you are masking the beauty it's like it's like putting you know war paint on a beautiful face it's not it, it just doesn't it, it doesn't work nearly as well and so i would keep that in mind also if you, if you have a big space and you're finding trouble that because you are, are cluttering it up a bit too much now is the perfect time to try our 30-day minimalism game so you can find the details of that at the minimalists.com slash game uh, Ryan Beck is going to try this at our house uh, this this month. Which the is minimalism. To, yeah. Do you guys have stuff to get rid of? No, I mean it's going to be. Uh, I just sort of like I was thinking about maybe I could like take rubber bands and just do one rubber band on day <laughs> one. Um, I, no, I don't have enough stuff that I could play the minimalism game anymore. Wow. Um, for those of people who don't know how it works, basically you partner up with someone. And, and you have a challenge throughout the month. First day of the month, you each get rid of one item. Second day of the month, two items. Three day, uh, third day of the month, three items, so forth. And it's, it's a great project because it gives you that momentum that you need to get started. Mm-hmm. But it gets much more difficult as the month proceeds. On day 15, you're getting rid of 15 items. Day 25 is 25 I- items. And it gets really difficult. But uh, Becca's going to try it. And she's going to um, log all the photos of that over at her Instagram account, which is just at minimal wellness. And so you can, uh, it's going to be a challenge. And, and if she fails, it'll be, it'll be a really fun failure as well. Um, <laughs> so you, if you take a, a tour of our house, you're going to say, well, how the heck can you get rid of 500 items in one month? My answer to that is I don't, I don't really know. There, I mean, there's some stuff that we work to get rid of every month and we, we have a donation box that we, we get rid of things each month. Now, can she keep the game up all month? You know, I don't, I don't know, but it will be quite the, quite the challenge <laughs> for her to try it, man. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. So um, one last thing from Maggie, there's an entire chapter about stuff. And so you're dealing with a lot of stuff right now. And there's some different rules that we've set up for people in, uh, well, different, not set up for people, but rules that you can use in our book, Essential. It's an essay collection, 150 essays about living a more intentional life, 12 different topics, 12 different chapters about living an intentional life. I think you'll find the most value in that stuff chapter with some of the rules that are in there, Maggie. Sean, if you could reach out to her, give her a, a book version of that or it's now on audiobook it's a six hour audiobook if you have any uh, download codes from audible left then maybe we shall find value in that either way uh, make sure you minimize the book afterward if if once you're done reading it the value is in the words not in the artifact itself you can pass it on to to someone else anything else before we move on to our next question ryan no let's get on through the who is this our last question is from cody got it right here cody from logan utah I've heard you talk a lot about uh, staying out of debt, staying financially free, and why that's so important. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about housing and how for some people it might make more sense to rent rather than buy a home uh, because they they can't buy it with cash. So I'm wondering uh, what your view is on micro homes and how that relates to minimalism. All right, so so what is our view on micro homes? Ryan, I'd like to talk to you, to you about uh, some different homes. You already taught me about the Cobb house. I didn't know I didn't know about that. Um, but the first thing I, I think, Cody, you want to ask yourself is what is appropriate? This this word mm. came up. Uh, there's a minimalist architect in our documentary, which is just called minimalism, and and he kept using this word like everything I bring into my home is appropriate for my life, and I think that's the the, the perfect word to use when we're thinking about what type of home do I need? Is this was Frank the architect, right? Yeah, yeah, Frank, uh, yeah. Frank the minimalist architect, and. And he said, you know, what, what's appropriate for my life? And, and, you know, he's retired in his 60s and has a wife, but his kid is out of the house. And, and so we could talk about his housing setup, which I found to be beautiful and, and also very interesting. But that word is appropriate. Uh, the, the word appropriate is appropriate uh, <laughs> because you want to ask, you know, what, what type of house is, is appropriate for, for my life? So let's talk about some different housing examples. The first thing that came to mind, Ryan, that I wrote down here is the founder of Zappos. You know, the, the online shoe company, Zappos. The founder of Zappos, he lives in, uh, the company's based in Las Vegas, and they have, he, he lives in an Airstream. This yeah. guy's a multi, multi, uh, Tony Shea, is that his name? What's that? What is, is it? Tony Shea? I, that sounds right. The, yeah. he, I just heard an interview with him uh, on NPR. Uh, it's a podcast episode as well. It's called uh, How I Built This. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But he lives in, I would be similar to an intentional community that he's actually, he's created for a lot of his employees and, and stuff. Yeah. But he lives in an Airstream and, and and he was talking about, you know, if what what would happen if my house gets set on fire? What would I grab? And he's like, I don't, he gives the same answer we give. Like, I don't know, my phone maybe? Like, right. but I'm not going to feel bad about it because everything I own is there in that, that, that Airstream. But I, I don't have a whole lot of stuff. You know, it's not what I'm focused on. My, my life is more about contribution and customer service. And he, he built a whole company based on customer service. It's a customer service company that happens to sell shoes. Right. Which is which is a beautiful way way to put it. And so the cool thing about that is there's a lot of shared resources in that community. So so we've talked about before, Ryan, moving from a culture of ownership, having to own everything to a culture of access. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a swimming pool in your backyard. I don't have a swimming pool in my backyard. Ryan doesn't have one in his, but we still have access to a swimming pool. If I want to go and bring Ella to the YMCA, I have access to that. There are other things that if I, if I was using the swimming pool every single day, it might make sense to have one if I could, if I could afford it. And so think about that. Does the community or where you want to live or where you want to put this micro home or, or micro apartment or whatever it may be, does it have access to the things that you want access to? Uh, in our documentary also, Ryan, there was uh, Tammy Strobel. She, she has a, a tiny house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she runs the website rowdykittens.com. And her and her husband, Logan, live in a 180-square-foot, uh, beautiful, tiny home. One of the most beautiful homes I've ever seen. Very intentional, right? Yeah. And so, so what, what, what is my view of micro-homes? Well, it depends on what you mean by micro-home because th- there, are, there are different things. So if we're talking about tiny houses, then, then I think they're intentional. I think they're intentional by, by necessity. So uh, I, w- I was talking to, uh, to Tennessee Edwards, the, the producer of um, Tiny House Nation, and he was talking about how when they when they're 
these people are building tiny houses for themselves, they don't realize how much they necessarily ha- necessarily have to downsize, right? Because if you're going from a 3,000 square foot house to a 300 square foot house, you can't have the same number of stuff. So you're forced to to limit your options as you move forward. And, and that really forces you, you, they're kind of doing a packing party as they're moving because they know they can't bring everything in there. And he said, you'd be amazed by the pe- what people try to bring into these tiny houses. Like, I've got this old bed from my grandma with the canopy and... He's like, no, you can't bring that in to the tiny. <laughs> it won't fit. Like, right. Or if it does fit, nothing else will fit. Right. Is this the most important thing for your life? Um, so, I mean, we've seen other tiny ho- homes as well. And I agree with you, Ryan. That they're some of the most beautiful places that, that I've ever been. But it may not work for the individual as well. Neither you nor I live in a tiny house. Uh, just based on our current circumstance, it, we don't feel that it's the best fit for for us. I think. Yeah, I mean, it might be something that Mariah and I do one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're not at a point right now where we're like, let's see how small of a house we can move into. Uh huh. Um, and you know, if if we did do it at this point, it would be just for that, just to be like, oh, let's see if we can do it. Um, right. I don't see really the the value that it would add if if we went and did that. But yeah, certainly something that we might do one day. And I, to your point, man, yeah, like if you build a tiny house, uh, mm-hmm. you're gonna have to be minimalist. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's you have no choice. Yeah, because otherwise, even if you just have a you know, a little bit of stuff, you're gonna feel like a hoarder. Like this stuff's gonna literally get in the way for you. Right. And I I prefer personally prefer a lot of open space. Now a lot of the tiny houses, and we could talk about a few different options here: uh, micro homes, micro apartments. A lot of these new micro places, they're not as small as a tiny house per se, but they're like one step above, and they give you a lot more space. Oh, that's interesting. I assumed the micro home was smaller than a tiny house. Yeah, I mean it, it's weird because. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Yeah, I, I, and, and so in some cases they might be. I'm going to give a few examples, and we'll put links to all of these in the show notes as well. But uh, you remember the the um, so on my Instagram account, I think even on the minimalist Instagram account, I shared. I, I stayed at that container house in the yeah. middle of nowhere about a year ago. And man, it was one of the most gorgeous things. You have views of uh, of the crazy mountains, which it's a mountain range in, in central western Montana. And um, you, it, it was just this architect who took a container, turned it into a container house, uh, mid-century modern decor. And it was just enough space for what I felt like for two people. There was mm-hmm. a, a little bedroom alcove. There was a nice bathroom with a gorgeous view you're in the shower and all you see are just mountains everywhere it's unbelievable and half of the entire building this container house were all uh was all windows so you had views of the most gorgeous views of of these mountains and uh, there's also another company here in montana called montainer and i was looking at their their website uh this morning uh, just to make sure that they were still making houses and stuff. And I, I like what they, they're they doing. They're pitching. So you can do a, a Montainer as your primary home. I know Sean, our producer, has been super interested in doing something with a container house. But they're they're also pitching as like a, a carriage house or, or a backyard house. You can mm-hmm. have a, a guest house in, in your backyard because it, it is shaped like a container or two containers or three containers or some people will stack containers and make an entire apartment building. Oh wow. There are different ways that you can you can uh use these containers deliberately. And what what I liked about it is it like any of these, it is intentional. It requires less space, but you can find it it's customizable so that it has the right amount of space for you. 
Um, I, last time I was in Oakland, Ryan, I saw these micro apartments. Uh, so I, I, that's slightly different from a micro home, I believe. But again, we're, we're the nomenclature. I'm, I'm are not these as, like smaller or bigger than like the loft apartment that I have? They are smaller than the loft apartment you have. Okay, uh, but they're so. What's happening? So they're in between a tiny apartment and a loft. A t- <laughs> well, I don't know what a tiny apartment is, but <laughs> just the tiny little. <laughs> well, so so. Uh, well, another way to think about it is uh, maybe um, Graham Hill in, in our documentary. He has that 420 square foot uh, apartment. Okay. And now his is is modular and customizable. So if you look in the documentary, Graham's uh, apartment is it's in New York City. It's 420 square feet, which is a decent size in New York City. But what he's able to, to fit, I almost said cram, but he didn't cram anything in there. It's so intentional. You can sleep seven people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can have dinner for 12. There's a movie theater and an office and a bathroom and a living room all in this 420 square foot space, which sounds impossible, but it means that everything moves around accordingly for the task. Mm-hmm. So you want to have 12 people over for dinner? You can. The table pops out of the floor. And all of a sudden, you have 12 people there, and it doesn't feel cramped. Mm. And, and so that's something that you can do if you're being very deliberate with the spaces you have. And, and you'll see a link to that in, in the show notes as well. But in Oakland, I saw something similar. Um, a lot of people are now, are now moving toward this smaller but more convenient apartment model. Uh, so right next to the BART stop, because there's a housing shortage in the San Francisco Bay Area, especially if you're in San Francisco. So if you wanted to move to Oakland, which is across the bay, it's still relatively expensive compared to the rest of the country. But if you get a, a very small three to 400 square foot apartment, it's right next to the BART. You're, you're really close to everything, but you also have a beautiful space that has everything that you need in it. I stayed in a similar apartment in uh, Seattle last time I was there. It was on Airbnb. And it was about 400 square feet, hmm. and it was just a small sort of bedroom and a living room and a beautiful kitchen. And all of the, the even the fridge and all the appliances and everything were sort of in this wall, and it looked like cabinets. So you couldn't really tell, like, where's the fridge or where's the stove? I, I don't see any of this stuff. But you just open up, like, this cabinet, and you have access to all of these things, and so it hides it away very well. And, and Very cool. I was also thinking about Ryan. Do you do you know about uh, the dumpster project? Do no. You, you hear about this? So there's a professor in. Wait, wait, is he living out of a dumpster? A professor in okay, Austin, yeah, Texas. Yeah, I did hear about this. Yeah, he. Uh, uh, it's just uh, dumpsterproject.org, and um, he just proved to himself that he could live in a really tiny space, basically. Mm. I would not want to live into a, a dumpster, even a dumpster size space. I'm looking at the website right right now, and it was something like 120 square feet. And did he make it beautiful for what it was? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but what I really liked is he took that experience. And he was just proving to himself that, like, wait a minute. Like, uh, and it was a, a weird metaphor to a really cool metaphor. Like, it's a dumpster, <laughs> right? You yeah. can you can live in trash, kind of. Uh, and it was it was gorgeous, but he, he sort of parlayed that into a company called Casita. Hmm. And, um, what I found really interesting is these are micro homes. So back to Cody's question here, what do you think about micro homes? These Casita homes, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at a picture right now. They are absolutely stunning. I mean, they are an architectural marvel. Mm. Uh, if you want to pull it up, Ryan, it's just Casita.com. How do you spell it? Uh, K-A-S-I-T-A 
com, and um he and and of course that'll be in the show notes too so for those of you driving don't try to write that down um that's actually why I mention the show notes all the time. I know so many people listen to this while they're driving or jogging or something. You don't have to stop every single time. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, these are beautiful. Man. On their about yeah. page, he uh, here's what it says: Our story. Not every company can say their CEO used to live in a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> That's our founder's tale, from tech pioneer to professor to tiny space astronaut. Tiny space astronaut. I thought was kind of cute. Jeff Wilson got his start at the height of the dot-com boom in the late 90s. Silicon Valley was buzzing, but after three years, he felt stifled by the system and the lack of real innovation. Wilson quit the corporate grind, buried his Rolex in the California desert, and set out to find more from life. Years later, after earning a PhD and becoming a professor, Wilson became uh, fascinated by minimalism. He sold most of his possessions for a dollar a piece and spent his summer breaks traveling abroad with nothing but the clothes on his back. Wow. After moving to Austin, Texas, his love for minimalist living culminated in an educational and social experiment where he lived... Oh, my goodness. He he lived in a used 33-square-foot dumpster for an entire year. I was wrong about 120 square feet. Wow. Yeah, it's and I mean you you can see pictures of it. We'll we'll put the links to it. But um, here, here's the point. The, the last paragraph here: small living led Wilson to reimagine what a comfortable home could be, especially in a growing city in need of affordable urban housing, mm-hmm. which Austin's one of the growingest cities in the country. Uh, let's see here. He he took all the best elements of dumpster life. More from uh, more from less, beautiful design and smart technology, and conceptualized a dream space. He called it casita, a whole new category of living. So I just want to be clear: this has this these homes as you you're looking at them, right? They look nothing like a dumpster, right? <clears throat> Except for the dumpster he lived in that I'm looking at. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, a legit. But, it's a legit dumpster. <laughs> yeah, like for real, like like waste yeah. management green dumpster, <laughs> right? right? But, but yeah, all those other homes now they're freaking gorgeous, man. They really are stunning. And and so if I were to go that the the micro home route, I mean they're beautiful. That that is probably the the route I would go. Uh, he's emailed us in the past. I might reach out to him again and and just let him know that. Hey, maybe we can do an interview in one of his his dumpster houses, um, or not dumpster houses, his casita houses, not the dumpster house. I would never live in a dumpster house, but I admire going back to the appreciation part, Ryan. I appreciate the fact that he did that as mm-hmm. a as a social experiment. A few other things that that uh, stand out to me, Ryan. We've had a lot of people who have mentioned this to us, yurts, and I've always turned off by the idea. They're kind of like teepees in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I used to be turned off by the idea, but just last week, there is a, a company called York Highlands. It is an intentional community. If you want to pull this up, Ryan, it's yorkhighlands.com. And uh, they wanted us to do a, a come give a talk next month, and I, we, we couldn't because all our speaking gigs are booked for quite a few months at, at this point. But I really appreciate what they, they've put together this sort of intentional community. Uh, called the the York Highlands. It, it's in uh, Monterey, California, and oh, wow. and they are they just look like big tents. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. look like these. They're yurts, I guess. I, I'm guessing. I, I don't know what it is, but you can see a, a trailer to that there. Uh, real quick, this is uh, th- this is their um, mission or vision, I guess. Uh, the it says York Highlands is a forward-thinking enclave of residential properties 
rooted in a shared commitment and creating a community that integrates a low-impact built environment on its spectacular natural surroundings. And that's one of the things you notice there on the website, Ryan, is it's there in Monterey, California, and it is it is stunning. It's just so gorgeous there. Yeah. And so they're using sort of their land as part of their space. It's almost the artwork in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And so... You can find all the details to that. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes as well. But I really like the fact that if you're in a, a tiny house or a micro apartment, the space also plays a bigger role in what you're doing, whether it's putting it in a backyard as a as a uh, in-law house, in-law suite, as they call it, uh, or you are um, you know doing Tammy Strobel's tiny house in Northern California in the middle of nowhere. Um, that is, that is just as gorgeous and the land plays a big part of, of that environment. Uh, one last thing I, I didn't recommend or didn't, uh, talk about Ryan is nomadic lifestyle. There are some people that just don't have a house. <laughs> I, I think of Colin who he's actually renting an apartment in Wichita, Kansas right now, yeah. um, just as, as an experiment, but he does short term living basically. Mm-hmm. And so in the documentary, he talked about not being homeless. He's home full. He moves around from home to home to home. He'll often rent them somewhere. Or I think about James Altucher, who is a multimillionaire, I'm pretty sure, but doesn't own a house either because he really likes that flexibility. He is constantly renting new places on Airbnb. Mm. And everything he owns fits in his backpack. That doesn't work for me, but I can accept and appreciate that lifestyle as well. For sure. Uh, Swinging it back around uh, to Frank, who we mentioned at the beginning of this, who asked, what is appropriate? When I went to go interview him in his beautiful home in Tucson, I get there and it's a small plot of land, maybe a quarter acre or so, relatively small. And I noticed that there are three different sort of buildings on this small property and I'm like, well, what is this about? It, they're all sort of interconnected by this middle space. He has this wildlife sanctuary that functions as a hallway between these three spaces, these three homes. And he's retired. And what, he, what he's done is he set the, the front house up that where some PhD students rent the, the front house. It's the larger of, of the three structures, but it's still relatively small. Mm-hmm. And I think, and then he, he and his wife both have separate living quarters, <laughs> which, That's great. Uh, which was very appealing to me um, <laughs> because of all the alone time that, that I like to spend. But they're, they're very small living quarters, and he showed us all, all three of these, these spaces. And what I learned is that, oh, okay, they share these spaces, not that they just have totally separate homes and they're you know, the Hatfields and the McCoys and they're, they're feuding. No, they, they can go off to their own spaces. When they have dinner, he goes over to her space. And when um, she wants to visit with him, she comes to his space. And they also meet a lot in the middle. Being in Tucson, the outdoor space is, is like this connecting, beautiful hallway. So instead of just creating a big house with some big hallways in between, here's my space and your space, they have this beautiful outdoor space they enjoy together. And that worked really well for them. And so you can check that out in in the documentary. Um, Cody, I'd love to send you the... So we did six hours of bonus footage in in that documentary. So there's obviously a bunch of interviews that we had uh, that we, we dive deeper in, uh, people like Frank and, and Tammy, et cetera. But we couldn't include all of that in the documentary. That's available exclusively on Vimeo, which you can find at minimalismfilm.com. But Cody, I'd love to send you a, a download of those six bonus hours of of content. So if you enjoyed the documentary, you can enjoy those those uh, bonus interviews as well. Ryan, you got anything else before we we move on? 
No, man. You know what time it is. Tell me what time is it. It is time for the hashtag Ask the Minimalist Lightning Round. Yes, it is. Uh, this is where we answer questions from social media. But first, we'd love to hear what you have to say about housing. Uh, so leave us a, a comment or a tip about housing or minimalist housing or how are you handling that extra space that you have? Or if you have any advice for our callers today, leave us a voicemail at 406-219-7839. We'll, we will air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And here's a tip for you. Make sure you write down your message before you call. That will help you articulate your point and, and you can increase your chances of being on the show. So moving on to the hashtag, Ask the Minimalist Lightning Round. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at The Minimalists, and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. During the Lightning Round, Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. All right, our first question is from CB. Maybe we should just spend five minutes guessing what CB stands for. Cincinnati Bell. <laughs> what do you leave? Wait, no, what did? Sorry, let me start that over. Our Go next question is from CB. What did you leave out in your new minimalist home that you wish you had not? Well, my, my pithy answer to that one, CB, is as my needs change... My possessions change accordingly. So it's not about wishing that I will, would have left something out. If, if, some, if I'm depriving myself, then I go out of my way to make sure I'm not depriving myself long term. And I think that that's important to keep in mind. So the really short answer to that would be nothing. I don't leave something out if it, if it feels like deprivation. You know, this is, has nothing to do with this question, but talking about deprivation... Um, I'm just thinking about that uh, question from Sonia uh, where she talked about how she had to like work that second job to pay off the $20,000 for, you know, she did that for seven months so uh -huh. she could bring that to the table or, or pay that off the, the money that she had to bring to the table. Sometimes it is appropriate to deprive yourself. Yeah, short term. Yeah, with, short with, term a, deprivation. with an objective in mind. Yes. It, that said, uh, my answer would be a minimalist does not deprive themselves from the things that add value to their life. So, um, I guess, uh, just to expound on that a little bit. Yeah. Like I don't, um, for a long term period, I don't just keep things out of my life for the sake of keeping them out. Mm. Um, so yes. Uh, have I got rid of something? Yeah. Like the one thing that I can think of where I've used a 2020 rule is I used to always keep this toothbrush in my travel bag in case for some reason, just in case, uh -huh. <laughs> just in case for some reason, uh, I, d I forgot my toothbrush at home or I lost it on the trip or whatever. It was like, you know, something that my dentist gave me for free. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll hold on to it. And I remember when I switched bags, I got rid of that toothbrush and forgot my toothbrush on like the next trip. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, oh yeah. I used to have that little travel toothbrush in my bag. And now I, don't, now I have to Go use the 2020 rule and right. you know spend less than 20 minutes and, and less than five dollars really. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, if you're at a if you're staying at a hotel, they'll just give you. They'll a free give you one. a free toothbrush. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there are certainly things like that. Um, but but nothing I have deprived myself with. And when I think about my place right now, like it doesn't have a garbage disposal where my last place did, and I freaking loved that garbage disposal. But at the end of the day, like that's not something that uh i am depriving myself with yeah i mean maybe i'll talk to the landlord about putting one in there or something mm -hmm. um and it would add value but what i've learned is that it's really not that big of a deal right <laughs> right, right. Yeah. i think that's important so 
So no, there there isn't anything that I that I absolutely feel like I, I wish I would have not left out of my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, we don't have a, a garbage disposal in the home either. I, I feel the same way about garbage disposals. Like it is, especially as much as as Bex cooks. I mean, she is a Mozart of cooking, and there's a lot of prep work that goes into that. And yes, would it be nice for sure? So, but it's it, not like yeah, but it's not like a an end all be all it just makes it a little makes the sink a little messier you gotta stick your hand down in the grossness to <laughs> get that yeah. out of there yeah yeah and i'll tell you this man i i uh, personally if if it weren't for bex I, I don't even i wouldn't find much value in having a kitchen at all <laughs> other than a place to make my coffee right um I, I but with with bex she uses that kitchen more than any other room in the house so um that that is something that you know i've you know, compromised on in a way all right paul's got a question What's your opinion of art? Art is stuff, but it has meaning, right? Um, you can't be a minimalist and have art. Yeah, I, it wait, cracks wait, me up. Aren't there minimalist artists? Yes, there are. <laughs> no, it's so funny. Like people, like they'll look at your house. Actually, my house tour. Uh-huh. It, um, I think there was only like you could see only one uh, thing hanging on the wall. Yeah. Um, I actually have a lot more art than that. It's just the angles that I took. It didn't include some of the other art that I have. I have I have literally one, two, three, four paintings hanging up. It's very deliberate. Um, uh, very the paintings mean a lot to me. Uh, it's same thing to Mariah. Um, but people will always comment mm. like when there's no art. Oh, I could never be a minimalist. They don't have any art in their house. And it's like, well, the, art doesn't necessarily or having art doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a minimalist i mean mm-hmm. that's that's crazy yeah and and it's about what makes sense f- uh, for you i mean our our friend jessica williams who runs the mind palace podcast and also helps out with some of our social media stuff she is a artist and so you go to their home her and her husband matt and they're they're definitely minimalists but there's art everywhere and it's beautiful because it is well curated for her life. Mm-hmm. For me, I am pretty much the exact opposite. I am more of a brutalist, mm-hmm. and I prefer stark white walls. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, Bex and I were, were laying in, in bed the other day, and uh, I was the lights are down low, and you know, we're kind of messing around a little bit. You got that bedroom mix playing <laughs> on the iPod. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's just Eric B and Rakim. <laughs> no um uh we're in there and like the lights are low she's got some candles on and there's not there's you can see a picture of our our bedroom on that house tour but and you guys started doing shadow puppets with the candles (laughs) and you're like look at this amazing space we have for shadow puppets (laughs) it's art man (laughs) you made your own art yeah that's right with shadow puppets uh no but but what i realized like this space feels so calm to me it's the, the, there's like a dimmer switch on the light, which, by the way, I, is one of my favorite things. So, so it, if I were to have a house without dimmer switches, that's one thing that I'd spend the five dollars and have that put in because it it makes a world of difference for me because I'm I'm really sensitive to light. And so, um, yeah, we're we're sitting there in the bed. And I'm like, I just this space is calming. It's relaxing. It's gorgeous. The walls are all white. The bed and comforter are white. And it was like a, a chair off to the side and, and, and there's one plant in the corner and it's like this green, beautiful, and it's in a white, um, uh, what is that called? Vase? Uh, pot. Oh, pot. Yes. Yeah, thank okay. you. Um, it's not in a vase. 
I've heard that there's a difference between a vi- I wouldn't put a plant in a vase, but I suppose you 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 put flowers in a vase. I guess. I hear I there's a know. difference between a vase and a vase. A vase is is. <laughs> Is what shorter than fourteen inches, and a vase is taller. I don't know. That's what she said. All right, I, I, <laughs> well, well, it, keep keep going. What were you? <laughs> well, my my point is that with the artwork, Ryan, I, I don't have uh, really any uh, artwork on the walls. But I look at the house. The structure is artwork. I look at furniture as artwork. I look at ar- look at architecture as artwork. Mm-hmm. I look at plants as artwork. And if I want to bring artwork into my life, great. I just don't think that. It's something I need to be complete. I am complete without any art on my walls and everything else. If I really find value in it, um, then then I'll bring it in and I'll feel good about that. I, lo- I love art because uh, I just, I don't know. So, like the pieces I have makes me feel something. Like I have one painting uh, done by a girl named Feng Li, an amazing artist. Um, it's a painting of a woman who like, it's kind of like half faded uh, like half of her face is drawn. The other half is like kind of penciled in, but the expression on her face, it just really like, there's so much I could, I could talk about that painting and I won't sit here and expound on it, but, um, but it really makes me feel a lot. I've got a Berkey, uh, water filter and I've got uh, an awesome, uh, painting or it's not a painting. It's a, it's like a blown up picture that was put on, um, like a, it's not canvas, but it's just basically blown up picture is what it is, but it's of, like the the beach and rocks and it's like this whole you know picture of water above the water thing and like it does something for me whether it does something for anyone else I really don't care right uh, but it does something for me so like I I, I am totally uh, and Mariah likes it too yeah and I, you yeah. do care about that <clears throat> right absolutely absolutely yeah Mariah and I do have to grant art that we're gonna bring in there's some art that I wanted to bring in Mariah's like I'd rather not have that and that's where that's where the appreciation comes in, and I appreciate Mariah for who she is. Yes, and uh, yeah, then I then I uh, certainly won't get that. In fact, I think that it's better when we pick the art out together because it just it makes it our home, right? More, you know, so so there's plenty of reasons why I do that. Well, here, here's my short answer for you, Paul. Minimalism helps me create beautiful art. It helps me create a beautiful life. Mm, I I didn't give my short meaning my my short answer, um, which I don't think is as good as yours, but. Um, it's just matter of fact, possessions have no intrinsic meaning, only the meaning we give to them. Yeah. And that's what matters most. I think, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Giselle. Where in the home should I start decluttering? Well, um, here's my, my short answer. Just start period. Letting go gets easier by the day. Uh, yeah. No, I, I I said something similar, man. One day or day one, you decide. Mm. That's uh, that's been uh, getting retweeted, and 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 people are uh, using the uh, wallpaper or. Uh, we, yeah, we did a little image, um, like an image. Yeah, I don't know if it's wallpaper, right, or not, but yeah, I've seen that getting. I, I've seen that uh, been uh, passed around the inter the interwebs, mm-hmm. and no, that's the first thing I thought of when she said this because, like, asking yourself, where do I start? It's almost like a an intent in unintentional and unintentional. <laughs> it is an unintentional like stall tactic. Yeah, and I I don't think that Giselle is intentionally yeah like no. being like oh how do I stall? I mean she's she's very overwhelmed. Um, but like to your point, it's like just start. If you don't know where to start, well just p- pick a place and start. And if it turns out to be a really bad place to start, 
well then move somewhere else and start there yeah i mean if i were to give some 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 practical advice here ryan because i agree with that it it is just about starting what's going to be easiest for you for me it was starting with my clothes um i know that you may want to start with one particular type of clothes maybe you start with just your shirts right uh, and and you want to start with that closet. That was the easiest thing for me because I realized there were so many things that I had in my closet that I wasn't wearing at all. And letting go of that was was much easier for me. And don't start. I recommend not starting with sentimental items, right? Don't start with the things that are most difficult to get rid of. If you have three hundred thousand things in your house and you're starting with the ten things that are most meaningful to you, you're probably not going to make much of a dent in any of your stuff, and you're going to stay overwhelmed. And so start somewhere. Uh, the the other other thing that I would recommend is starting somewhere that you're going to see every day, a kitchen or a closet or a bedroom or a bathroom. Starting somewhere that you're spending most of your time is is a good recommendation. And then I already mentioned earlier, but the 30-day minimalism game is a great way to start. So if you want to play that, you want to partner up with someone, like I said, my partner Bex over at Minimal Wellness on, on Instagram, she'll be, she'll be playing that uh, throughout throughout the next month. You can find that. But the, the best place to start is asking a question. How might my life be better with less? Mm. You answer that question, you'll figure out the benefits, and those benefits will give you the leverage you need to keep going. Yeah, you know, I had a, uh, I remember a gentleman who came to see us. It was one of the southern states. I want to say it was Atlanta, maybe. Okay. Anyway, um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he was like, you know, I've been doing this minimalist thing, and it's great, but then my family keeps making fun of me because I'll go ask them, like, hey, where's this one thing? And they're like, oh, remember you minimized it. Ha, 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 ha. And the only thing I could say to someone like that is, like, well, you didn't start with that most important question. Right. Like, how might your life be better with less? Because if you just start getting rid of stuff, then yes, uh, you could certainly end up in that uh, position. In fact, if you take it to its terminus, you can just run a dumpster and throw away everything that you own and then just go into your empty home and sulk. Yeah, so, or yeah, go like, live in the dumpster. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Genius. Because <laughs> all your stuff's already there, man. It's yeah, really that's nice. Right. That's right. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good point, Ryan, is it, yes, you, you're not going to just start getting rid of stuff. Yeah, I, If I were to go home right now, I'm going to get rid of the first 10 things I, I, I see. Well, that's stupid of me. Because I use those things most likely. And so, yeah, ask that question. It's important. All right. This one's from Jamie. You suck. Sorry, wrong <laughs> episode. But seriously, here's what I'd like to ask. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. I, I think he's responding to the criticism episode. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> or maybe that's a different episode. <laughs> All right. J- Jamie's uh, question is, how does technology fit into a minimalist home? How much gadget is too much gadget? My, oh, yeah. my, my short answer to that is the most valuable technologies don't supplant. They supplement. And make that distinction. The The gadgets that I have into my in my life, you can go back and, and listen to or read that full Cal Newport article. But those, those things in my life, the technology or otherwise, they should augment my lifestyle. They, they shouldn't replace in most cases. Um, uh, for example, Ryan, I don't want my, my 
phone to replace my interpersonal reaction or inter- interactions with people. I want it to be able to improve those interactions, not get in the way. But if I were to just take my phone and put it on, on the table when we're having lunch, that can get in the way because if it lights up or beeps or rings or whatever, that's going to get in the way of our interpersonal I- I- interaction. And so I want to use those things accordingly to augment my life, not to supplant the, the meaningful interactions of my life. Yeah, Jamie, I would say technology is a great tool, but don't get caught up in the upgrades. I think that's where people fall short. Well, that's where I fell short. I'm just projecting my shortcomings onto others. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like that's where I fell short. It was, it was always about the upgrades. Right. And uh, when I look back and if I would have been honest with myself, I probably would not have needed so many upgrades in my life. Yeah. And as far as gadgets in the home, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of gadgets in the home. I, I don't, I don't make a whole lot of the you know, smart home uh, lighting and other things, but some people might get immense value from that. And if you do, so be it. I'm, I'm not judging you. I, I'm totally fine with using the light switch to turn on and off my my lights in my home. I don't need it to be synced to my, my Google account and my smartphone. Yeah, but what about the clapper? <laughs> that, that's the original smart home. <laughs> Oh. All right. So, um, yeah. I, so the technology I have is it's not appreciably different from what was available in the 1950s. In fact, I will go without technology from time to time. That said, there are often technologies that add immense value to my life. Air conditioning is one of those things um, that I find to be very useful, especially if you're living God. somewhere like, like Florida. or You know how privileged I feel when I go to like Canada, mm-hmm. like Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They don't have air conditioning. No. They just open up their windows. Right. But right. like, I remember we were there one week and it was just like sweltering hot, it humid. Was. And I'm like, man, but yeah, it's like, it, it definitely does have a ton of value, but it's, it's crazy. Like that, I think that's a, uh, like more of an American thing where we're like, yes, let's have air conditioning. Right. Well, and, but Vancouver makes sense. Like, uh, they don't have, he- well, no, they do have heaters in, in Vancouver. Oh yeah. In most places. Yeah. Cause it does get chilly. Yeah, for sure. But, but yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I, I find a tremendous amount of value in air conditioning for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I, I do too. And the thing is, the weird thing is like we grew up in Ohio and it's hot as hell in, in the summers. Humid. Ohio. I had no air conditioning the first 18 years of my life. And, and I was totally okay with it because you get used to it. But, but same thing now, like I, it's not something that I truly absolutely need. Now, if you lived in Houston or something, then oh. there are cases where you actually need it. Dude, when they go to buy a car, and I've heard this from several people who live in Texas, when they buy a car, the first thing they do is like turn the car on and see how quickly they can cool the car down. It's so important. It's such an important thing down there. Yeah, and so there's a lot of technology that, that may add value to your life. You may ha- get a lot from the whole smart home thing. There's this, uh, you know, all of that that's going on right now and syncing your, uh, um, what is that called, the Amazon thing? I listened to a podcast, uh, I think it's called Connected, where they were talking recently about about smart homes and you know the guy can say please dim my don't bedroom do it. lights no oh i'm sorry you bleep that out sean yeah you, you can just bleep out like uh, I, you could literally just i could just be like if someone has their volume turned up right now i could just be like and then insert something for <laughs> to buy there and it will totally or did you see the guy that did that in uh, san diego it was a news announcer no. like basically um they were covering a story where a girl uh 
had ordered a dollhouse on accident. Mm-hmm. She had an imaginary friend, and the news. The uh, and so they were repeating this story. I'm trying to repeat it without saying it because uh-huh. I don't want to like accidentally just say order "lady do- in the tube." Yeah, right, lady in the tube, <laughs> Amazon lady. But basically, the the newscaster was telling the story, and they're like, "Oh, she must have just said something like, you know, lady in the tube, buy a, you know, buy a dollhouse." And like it, it oh, was this no. m- San Diego, all these people had <laughs> dollhouses ordered showing up at their door. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so, um, I don't find any value from that stuff. Right. I, 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 again, I, that doesn't, I, I, I want a little bit of, of friction there in my own life. Right. Because I, I don't want it to be so easy that I'm just laying in bed all day giving commands giving commands to the lady in the tube to to do these to do these things yeah. uh, but at the same time if it if it helps me out then I'll, I'll certainly consider it that that's the one thing that's important is i will consider any of these things and and make a, a decision based on on some deliberate thought infp rising asks have you ever gotten rid of something and seriously regretted it well my quick answer to that one is i've never regretted letting go but if I ever do, I'll let go of the regret. Man, that is so pithy. That is like borderline faux-fundity. <laughs> no, it's great, though. <laughs> That's man. alternative profound. Uh, my my short answer is the biggest regret I have is not letting go sooner. Mm, love that. I guess the simple, simple answer is no. <laughs> the toothbrush. But, I mean, even that, it fell under the you 20, never regretted 20 it, rule. Yeah. yeah. I really wish I had a good answer for that. And I'm sure someone does. I think, Actually, I think, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to ask the listeners right now like if you've got something that you've gotten rid of and you really really regretted it. Yeah. Uh call in and leave us a voicemail and we'll we'll put it on the 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 tips and tricks part of our episode because I'm sure there's a good answer out there and I wish I had a really good answer for someone. But I don't. I, no, I haven't gotten rid of anything where I was like, god, I can't believe I got rid of that. Um I've held on to stuff. Where when I finally got rid of it, I'm like, God, I can't believe I held on to that for so long. <laughs> right, right. I wish I would have gotten rid of it sooner. Right. I like your answer. Last question comes from Amy. How do you have a minimalist home with children? It's impossible, Amy. Sorry. Next next question. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, I've I've become acutely aware of this, this recently, so I, I would have previously said I don't know. Um, but my, my answer now that I have yeah, Ella, a three-year-old, uh, my answer is minimalism with children isn't a challenge it's an adventure and i'll just expand on that really quickly i've learned that with ella when i want to get her to do something or do something with me like we went to go pay the rent i'm trying to teach her about what rent is we went to go pay her the rent the other day like just mail the the envelope with the check in it and um we're we're walking down i said hey ella do you want to go on an adventure with me and anytime I ask her that, she, yes, of course I want to go on an adventure with you. And so I, I let her like carry the envelope, put the stamp on it, and and you know picked her up and, and let her drop it into the mailbox. And we turned it into an adventure as opposed to being like, oh, hold on, I gotta go pay the rent. No, it can be an adventure. And I think that that also applies to living in a, a minimalist house. When I want to get her to donate something, hey, let's go on an adventure. We're gonna donate some stuff. And it's about reframing that as opposed to being a, a challenge or a trouble or an issue. It's, it's just an adventure. Yeah. Um, I think I had this same response to another question from our last episode. But uh, my, my answer is I can't think of one good reason for the average person to hoard things. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah museums are going to hoard art. 
the Library of Congress, they're going to hoard all the archives they hoard. All the tweets. Yes. So, but for your average person, even if you have kids, uh, you know, I can't think of a good reason for anyone to hoard. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's move on to our added value portion of the show. This is where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Ryan, I have uh, two recommendations, both of which are podcasts. I mentioned early on uh, Runaway Jukebox, um, and well, he's holding his podcast ransom. So if you're going to re- review a podcast, whether it's ours or theirs, I want to keep hearing it. So maybe you'll, you'll review his uh, as well. But uh, it's, it's a music podcast, and it's millennial music. So mm. we, you and I are like the youngest Gen Xers, basically. If you look at anyone born yeah. from 62 to 81. Sometimes it depends on which where you're looking at. We could be like really early Gen Wires or... The- like yeah. old Gen Wires, that, that, too. That, that's true. We're, yeah. we're on the cusp, for sure. I think... Depending uh, on which day it is and how convenient it is, I'll, I'll claim Gen X or Gen Y. Yeah, so <laughs> so we, we're on the cusp, and, and um, I think most demographers will probably lump, especially with our with our particular habits, they will lump us in with, with Gen X more than Gen Y. I tried to explain to a gal the other day who's my age that she's Gen Y uh-huh. uh, or Gen X, depending on, again, like what I just said, Yeah. depending on the day and how she feels. And she, she corrected me. She's like, we're neither. We are Generation Organ Trail. <laughs> Have you looked this up? <laughs> no. It's no. actually pretty good. But but uh, in terms of demography, um, we're, we're, you and I and our, and our habits are, are tend to be closer to, to the Gen Xers um versus the millennials but this is millennial music and what i like is i tend to disagree and not necessarily like all all of their um their music picks but it's one way for me to find good new popular music Mm. that i don't have to sift through many many hours of of content and i can i can pull up an album that they recommend and i say oh yeah this sounds good or no i don't like this at all and i move on but it helps me out with my streaming services, helps me curate my my new music for sure. Uh, one other podcast episode I'm going to recommend is uh, from Lewis Howells, The School of Greatness. Um, I was interviewed on there a, a few months ago, but that's not what I'm recommending. He did an interview recently with a guy named Sekou Andrews, who is a professional public speaker, and he is so talented. He's a poet and and poetic, uh, uh, just a poetic public speaker, and so he'll go speak to corporations and organizations, and really shows the the level of of entertainment that is required to hold a crowd, and it's it's got me thinking a lot, Ryan, because you and I are hitting the road soon, and we're going to give an in depth talk about mm-hmm. minimalism, mm-hmm. and. Using some of the principles that he talks about, it makes his talks seem very extemporaneous, even though he has he has prepared a lot and and uses uh, imagery and and words in a way that really inspired me to become uh, a be- a better public speaker. So we'll put a link to both of those in the show notes. Ryan, what has added value to your life recently? You know, I don't know why this like just hit me, but. Uh-huh. Um, we we when we did our the when we talked about our favorite albums yeah i didn't even bring up leagues oh yeah yeah they were in my honorable mentions oh were they okay yeah. did, did you you talking about their first album or their no their second one? album their album last year yeah yeah alone together uh-huh yeah it was freaking awesome uh, i definitely recommend that i don't know why that just popped in my head but uh i will also say i am drinking out of this collapsible water bottle yeah you always carry that with you and it's always interesting when I it's empty it, i notice it like on your belt yeah so like it's uh yeah it's on my belt or i got like a clip i'll, I'll put it on my backpack uh-huh 
but it's just great for the airplane because I don't know why, but like carrying an empty water bottle, it takes up space. And when this is empty, like you can totally just like, I can put it in my pocket. Yeah. It's a little like weird to drink out of. It takes some getting used to, I would Yeah, you kind of got to like, like I had a friend go to take a sip out of it and like they spilled half of it on themselves. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good joke bottle then as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really, really good. Um, I'll put a link to the one. I'll I'll give uh, Sean a link to to the one that I use to put in the show notes. Um, But I mean, there's there's a lot of different ones out there. But yeah, that's what I got. You use it all the time, man. I think it's great. All right, well, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, Really great news. I'm so excited about this, finally, to finish off the trilogy of our books. So Ryan and I have written uh, three books over the last uh, six years. Uh, Our favorite book is a book called Everything That Remains. It's a memoir about the, the last five years of our lives, from suit and tie corporate guys to becoming minimalists. And, um... That came out in uh, 2014, but the audiobook just came out this week. It's a five and a half hour audiobook. You can find it over on Audible or iTunes or Amazon. And it is read by the talented, uh, our talented narrator, Justin Mollick, who runs a great podcast called Optimal Living Daily. He is a very talented narrator. And what I love about that book, Ryan, is it is structured as a, a five year narrative from my point of view. And so it's my perspective. It's about 200 pages long, but throughout those 200 pages, there are 100 interruptions. So basically every page turn, there's at least one interruption from my best friend, Ryan Nicodemus, and he gives his own perspective. Some of them are great, extraordinary, revolutionary responses, but usually it's just Josh letting me get the last word in throughout the book. <laughs> yeah, or he'll, he'll give a little funny quip or a joke and it really adds to the narrative. But the question is, how do you do that in an audio book, right? Because mm. you, you, they're in notes in the book. It's a literal interruption. If you're reading the physical book, you actually have to turn, you have to use two bookmarks. So you turn to the back to read Ryan's interruption and then return to your main text. But in the audio book, I love what Justin did. He interrupted with your more gruff radio voice. <laughs> and, and so he gives a, an, a literal interruption in the audio book, you don't have to wait to the end. You don't have to follow along with a separate book or anything. It's right there, and he uses two different voices for it. And he did just a masterful job on everything that remains a memoir by the minimalists. I already mentioned this, but we're going on tour throughout 2017. It's called the Less Is Now Tour. You can subscribe to our email newsletter to be the first to be notified about new events. We're bringing a a new talk on the road, some old concepts, some new concepts, a new presentation as well. We're also doing a live version of this podcast in front of audiences across the country or maybe even across the world. We're we're still trying to figure out all the dates. We're working with a booking agent on that. If you want to be the first to, to know, just sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, love people use things. That is our, our our saying, but it's also now a wallpaper for your phone or your computer. If you want the love people use things wallpaper, just go to theminimalists.com slash love people. And uh, oh, one last thing. I'm really excited about this. Do you want to advertise on the minimalists podcast? Maybe like a 60 second commercial on our podcast or a, a 30 second commercial um, or maybe you would just want like a big banner ad on our website. Too bad you can't. Ha <laughs> ha! Because gotcha. ad- advertisements suck, and we, we don't want to do that to you. But you can uh, support our podcast if you want to donate. You just go to theminimalists.com slash donate, and you can contribute one time or a monthly 
uh, a monthly amount there. You get to decide, or you can leave us a review if you can't afford to donate. Either way, we appreciate your support. Uh, Ryan, anything else going on right now? All I have left here are some lovely voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Cecilia Duffy from Geneva, Ohio. With tax season upon us, I have a tip for minimizing and organizing your tax records. I am mostly paperless with my taxes. Make a folder on your computer with the tax year. Inside that folder, you'll make other files and folders that will hold all your needed receipts and either an Excel or Word document with a list of the tax items by date, name, and amount. For instance, my 2016 tax folder has the following. Number one, a 2016 donation receipts folder. I scan all receipts here and throw away the paper. Number two, 2016 medical receipts folder. Again, scan receipts into here and you can pitch them. Number three, 2016 donation list. This is a Word document with a list of all donations by date, place, and amount. At the end of the year, you just add up the amounts. For the rest of my files, I do the exact same thing. Number four is the 2016 medical list. Number five, 2016 charitable mileage. Number six, 2016 medical mileage. Every time you drive related to charity and medical, it takes just a minute to put the date, place, and mileage on the document. It's much easier instead of trying to remember every place you've been all year long. Number seven, when W-2s and 1099s come in, I scan and place them into aptly named folders. Number eight, the last one is my property tax receipt. Taking a few minutes to scan and document throughout the year makes tax time much easier. As for receipts that you do not need for tax purposes, throw them away. When is the last time you needed to look at the water bill or the grocery receipt? Pitch them. On the off chance you actually need a receipt, you can call the water company and ask for it. This is Joe Rossi. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I was calling in because uh, recently, about two weeks ago, I actually had an opportunity to watch your documentary after listening to it get mentioned on another podcast that I listened to, and I was really enamored with your message. Um, being very reluctant initially to jump head first into the minimalist lifestyle, I, I really took an inventory of what are the things that are drawing me back from living my life the way I wanted to. And really, on the top of all of my lists and, and in the back of my head, I realized it was my cell phone. Um, I don't think that uh, using cell phones are necessarily in, in inherently a problem. But for me, uh, as a dad of 10-month-old twins, anything that's a distraction from my kids is difficult because, as you can imagine, we rip through formula and diapers and all kinds of toys and, and fun things all the time. And if I look down even just for one second to check Instagram notification or an email from my boss or a text chain from my friends, something really amazing could be happening like the first time that they walked or kind of scary could be happening like they're getting into something that they shouldn't. So I made a decision to actually switch to a dumb phone. I contacted my wireless provider and got my SIM card chip uh, replaced. And uh, now I just have a phone that only texts T9 like it's 2001 and makes phone calls. And it really has that small amount of minimalism really has made a big difference in my life. In fact, I was waiting in line, and typically my nose would be buried in my phone. And I had an opportunity to talk to a guy that was behind me that had a, a really neat classic truck that I saw pull into the parking lot and uh, ended up making a friend and, and learning a little bit about uh, 
the mechanical parts of old trucks and stuff. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear